Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Leave those things that captivate, you know, your heart. Come back to me. Come back to me. And not that I'm walking away from the Lord every single day, because that's not how it is. But, but there's a battle for our souls. And there's a battle for our hearts every single day. If, if we are honest with ourselves, we're in a war. It's a spiritual battle. And there are things that want to occupy the place that is rightfully deserved by Jesus alone within my heart. Every day I have to be on guard. It's pretty easy for us as humans to be distracted, and for some of us, it's easier than others. We live in a world that tries to pull our attention in every direction other than towards God. In today's message, Pastor James is going to be talking about the things of this world that try and steal our hearts from Jesus. The things that distract us aren't hard to find if we're looking, but if we ever get too comfortable, we can easily fall into letting things that are not of God consume our hearts. It's our job to constantly stay on guard. Now turn in your Bible to the book of Hosea chapter 13 for today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Lo, I am with you till the end of the age. That's the one we hope in. That's who we place our hope and trust in. The caution is, you don't have to show up to church, and I hope you don't, with like leery of leaders, okay? Because that's going too far to the other side, where you're like, well, I don't believe, I don't trust anybody in church. Okay, well, number one, why are you here? Uh, like, you gotta, there's got to be a little bit of give and take. Hopefully, we live our lives in, in such a manner that's transparent and open and honest, But again, never elevate somebody to a platform that they don't deserve, okay? The children of Israel, they did that thing. They did that with their kings. And God's like, where are your rescuers? I'm the only one who can rescue you, but I'm the only one you don't want. You want everybody else. You want everybody else's help, but mine. He even addressed that in in a few chapters before this one, where he's like, you're going to Egypt. You're going to Assyria. You're looking for help from everywhere else. You're going to the world for counsel. Why won't you come to me? And he's just calling him out. Boom, boom. And he just, in a loving and gracious way, as a heavenly father who knows how to pull his kid aside and say, we're going to have a talk. It's time for a talk. Sometimes that's worse than the spanking, right? Have you ever experienced that where your parents are like, we need to talk? You're like, just give me a swat, please. Like, I'll take the paddle, please. It's, have your way. Like, go as many times as you want, but I don't want to sit and talk. That's worse. That's horrible. Um, but here's the Lord pulling his kids aside before all of their sin really does catch up with them and they're carted off to Babylon. Where their idolatry problem will be solved. Um, they're in Babylon. I mean, hey, it's a little, you know, exile or captivity for seven years and seems to do wonders for people who have idolatry problems, okay? Not that their idolatry problems ever fully went away, but they did change, okay? So he goes on to say, um, verse 12, Ephraim's guilt has been collected. His sins have been stored up for punishment. Pain has come to the people like the pain of childbirth. But they are like a child who resists being born. 
The moment of birth has arrived, but they stay in the womb. I have no experience with that. I don't even know how to describe that or, or anything. I'm not even going to try, but that sounds like a horrible ordeal to me. Okay, I've been present at four births, and I can just imagine if this was a scenario happening with my wife and one of our children, I would feel completely sympathetic and sorry for my wife, okay? Because childbirth is a painful experience, and here the Lord is like, you're just multiplying this thing. You're multiplying the pain of this thing. Verse 14, should I ransom them from the grave or Sheol? Should I redeem them from death? Right? Here's a section of this verse. Oh, death, bring on your tears. Oh, grave, bring on your plagues. Now, immediately, I don't know about for you guys, but immediately I'm thinking 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Oh, death, where's your sting? Right? And here's God, he's saying like, should I ransom them from the grave? Should I... You know, should I redeem them from death? Oh, death, bring on your tears. Oh, grave, bring on your plagues. And here he says, for I will not take pity on them. Now, I'm grateful for the New Testament. I'm grateful for 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55. Um, and I'm thankful that in Christ, man, there's, a, there's no fear of this stuff. He goes on, Ephraim uh, was the most fruitful of all his brothers, but the east wind, a blast from the Lord, will arise in the desert. All their flowering springs will run dry and all their wells will disappear. Every precious thing they own will be plundered and carried away. The people of Samaria must bear the consequences of their guilt because they rebelled against their God. They will be killed by an invading army. See, this is the part of the consequences. Like, you want to turn your back on me? And God's like, I can use anybody to get a hold of you. Even your enemies, even other nations. And he goes on to say, like, there's going to be an invading army. It says their little ones will be dashed to death against the ground. The pregnant women ripped open by swords. He's like, it's going to be bad. And, and you hear that and you're just like, oh, man, like, it turn, right? <laughs> like, don't get to that point. Don't get to that point. God, is there a way? Is there a way out of this? And What's good news for the nation of Israel, although they didn't really embrace it at this moment or at this time, is good news for us in that, yeah, there's, you know, there is chance, there is time to turn away from those things. And that's all of chapter 14. It kind of deals with repentance and how there's healing in repentance. So he, he makes this great proclamation of like, this is what you're doing, and here's going to be you know, the effects of your rebellion towards me and all that good stuff. And he's like, Israel, chapter 14 is like, Israel, it's time to leave your lovers and come back to God. Leave your, quote unquote, your lovers. And, and again, the imagery there is, is, if you go back into chapter one, it's Hosea, the prophet, marrying Gomer, the prostitute, the harlot. And Hosea, you can probably see this as you read through this book, but you're seeing that what the Lord is doing for the nation of Israel, Hosea was probably doing it for Gomer, this lady that he loved. He's like, just come back to me. Just come back to me. Leave your lovers. Come back to me. And you can kind of sense this. This is like a, a dualistic kind of thing where it's like, this is Hosea's life being lived out, but this is also God using Hosea's life as an example to teach the nation of Israel this is what it looks like. And Hosea is like, probably 
done everything he possibly can. I've provided for you. I've taken care of you. I, I provide a shelter for you. I, I give you safety and all that stuff. Gomer, just come back. Come back to me. And you see that reflected on the Lord saying, Israel, I delivered you. I rescued you. I've done everything. Just come back to me. Leave your lovers. Come back to me. And I love that that's a call that God has you know, declared to Israel, but it's a call that he's declaring to me every single day. James, leave your lovers. Leave those things that captivate you know, your heart. Come back to me. Come back to me. And not that I'm walking away from the Lord every single day, because that's not how it is, but, but there's a battle for our souls, and there's a battle for our hearts every single day. If, if we are honest with ourselves, we're in a war. It's a spiritual battle. And there are things that want to occupy the place that is rightfully deserved by Jesus alone within my heart. Every day I have to be on guard. Every day. And I love that this call from Jesus never stops. Come back to me. Come back to me. When you wake up in the morning, come hang out with me. Spend time with me. Whenever you got availability, because maybe you're not a morning person, whatever, however it works for you, you're a night person, do your devos at night. The call of the Lord, this gracious call to the Lord is, is echoing throughout eternity. Come back to me. Come back to me. Leave your lovers. Come back to me. Verse 1 of chapter 14, it says, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have brought you down. Verse 2, this is a fascinating verse. Bring your confessions and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all of our sins and graciously receive us so that we may offer you our praises. I love that because the the wording there, the terminology there is like, it's saying, take words with you. When you go into the presence of God, take words with you. Meaning you should be thinking how you're going to pray. Like, you know, just like, I'm going to show up. I'm going to, you know, just kind of surprise God. You can't. I'm just going to drop in unannounced, right? That's not possible. But like, oh, I didn't prepare anything. No, you come with your words. And here in the context, this is about repentance. And when you go into his presence, what are you going to say? You're like, I, I don't know what to say. Read your Bibles. Because it's full of. Lots of good stuff to bring to him. But this is exactly what it's saying. It's saying we, we take words with you. It means know in advance what you will say. Know in advance what you're going to say. You don't just, you just, I mean, there's an element where you can kind of freestyle with God. But when you're dealing with stuff, like you're dealing with sin, you need to, you need to know what you're going to say. And it's going into going, you know, before him and saying, Lord, I'm sorry. I did this. I've done this. Your word says don't do that. Well, I've been doing that, or whatever. And it's like, it's just, we talk about it all the time, but it's just owning it. It's just owning it. It's not like he doesn't know, right? Early on in my Christian life, I, I kind of prayed like that. As if I was like, Lord, I need to let you in on something. Okay? I don't know if you're aware of this. But I was sinning over here. And I'm sorry for that. And he's like, I already know. But because there's a relationship, that's what you do in a relationship. 
We, we own it. And I love that, that phrasing there. I mean, it's found within the original like Hebrew. It's like, take words with you. Bring those words in with you. Here's what I'm going to say. Man, I blew it. I messed up. So Lord, I'm, I'm just going to lay this all down in front, you know, at your feet. And, and I'm going to intellectually know what I'm going to say. And not that you have it rehearsed. And not to have it all written out and all that good stuff, but I know what I'm going to say because I've been thinking about it. Because I'm aware of what I've done. It says the worship of God is intelligent. The worship of God should be intelligent, meaning we engage our brains. We engage our minds. And we think about these things. But it also indicates the fact that we talk to him. He's real. He's real. He's God. He exists. He's real. He wants a real relationship with us. He even goes on to say, like, you know, part of their prayer that he, I mean, look how good he is. He's like, so think about what you're going to say. And oh, and by the way, just let me give you a little heads up. Forgive all our sins and graciously receive us so that we may offer you our praises. Well, if you don't know what to say, well, there you go. He wrote it down for you. You're like, oh, man, I really would like to repent of this thing, but I don't know what to say. There it is. Forgive us of our sins and graciously receive us. And he does. He does. His grace is sufficient. His grace is so much deeper than what any of us will ever realize within our life on this planet. Any depth that you think you're gaining concerning the grace of God, you are merely scratching the surface. Surface. I think we have all eternity to dive deep into understanding what the grace of God is. And I think it's going to take eternity to understand that. I mean, it's deep. His grace, his unmerited favor towards us. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. He just freely pours it out. So that we may offer you our praises within the other translations and all that good stuff. It says, technically what it's saying there is, uh, we may offer you our words. We may offer you our worship We may offer you our confession, our petition, our intercession. These things are sacrifices. Your words are, in essence, because in the original Hebrew, it says that we may bring you the calf of our lips, is what it says in the Hebrew, which just means a sacrifice of our, our speech. So when we sing songs of worship to God, they're not just like, we got to do this. We'll sing these songs. We're offering a worship of praise, a sacrifice of praise. A sacrifice of praise, which means this. We engage our brains, and we think about what we're singing and proclaiming to God. That means we got to mean what we say. I remember being at Bible college, and a older, an upperclassman, he dropped this on me at one, one of our night session, lecture thingies, but worship was going on. And he was like, he'd mentioned something along the lines of like, he's like, yeah, that's cool if, if you mean it. I was like, what do you mean? It's a worship song. You got to sing these songs. He's like, he's like I, I think sometimes we should be a little bit more cautious of making promises to God that we don't intend to fulfill. I was like, ooh, that just kind of changed my outlook on I was like, oh, so I shouldn't just join in and get caught up in it. I should actually think about what I'm proclaiming to God 
because he takes that as a sacrifice. So again, it's, a, it's engaging our minds, but it's also engaging our hearts and saying, I'm going to sing this song and I'm going to deliver it as a sacrifice. Here's my words, God. And when I'm praying to him, it's a sacrifice. It's a type of sacrifice. So when they do a prayer meeting on Sunday mornings at nine o'clock, those are sacrifices that are being offered up to God. And when we're talking with each other, those are, our words are, and he keeps track of the, every single word. And it's a sacrifice. It, it all could be technically fit into right there within that passage. Whether it's our petitions, our intercessions, our confessions, our worship, our speech, so that we may offer you our praises. There's a lot there. And that really kind of sometimes changes the way we think about that of like, I need to be careful because, man, this, this like tongue, as the book of James says, this thing gets me in trouble a lot. Little muscle, but man, it's powerful, right? It like, it gets me in trouble. And what I want to do is just think and process, what am I singing? And is it, Lord, is, do I mean this? And never, I wouldn't ever discourage you from, I mean, sing those songs. And let me tell you, the songs that, that, we select, we, we are very selective on songs that we sing because we want them to be about Jesus. I don't know. It makes sense to us that like, if we're going to sing songs, they should, probably should be more about him than us because we're a bunch of sinners. And we, get, we focus enough on ourselves. So when we sing these songs, I know that the heart behind Jordan and the worship team is to present songs where it's like, we sing this because we mean this. This is a reflection of our hearts and our attitudes towards Jesus. We want to offer up that, that sacrifice of praise that he's pleased with. Within this, it goes on to say, Assyria cannot save us. And this is them just owning it, acknowledging. Assyria can't save us, nor can our war horses. Never again will we say to the idols we have made, you are our gods. No, in you alone do the orphans find mercy. And I love that little mercy. This is kind of like a little Easter egg, so to speak, within the text, because that goes back into Hosea chapter one, verse six, where it's lo rohama, if, if that's how you say it, no mercy. He had a, a daughter and God's like, you're going to name her this, no mercy. And then now it's, and, and then even if you go into chapter two, I believe it is, it's, it's rohama. Now it's a God of mercy. And then you see in chapter 14, as he's instructing them, you know, this is how you pray, and, and this is the prayer that we pray, is that in God, he says, in you alone do the orphans find ruchama, mercy. And that's a beautiful thing. Like, so the, the, the orphans, the outcasts, and all that stuff, we find mercy, great mercy, technically, in God our Father. And it's a beautiful thing. But see, they, they're brought to this repentance, which they're acknowledging and owning, like, this is our sin, and then it's leading them to this, like, realization of like, man, in you, God, it's grace and it's mercy. That's what we find in you. Verse four, we'll get to this last little part. It says, the Lord says, then I will heal you of your faithlessness, your backsliding. My love will know no bounds for my anger will be gone forever. This is a beautiful verse. I, I would encourage you to underline this or highlight it. I would also encourage you to write a cross-reference to this if it's not there, but James 5.16. In fact, I want to read that to you guys. probably already know what it is, but I'm going to read it to you anyways. James 5.16. This is a, a fascinating little bit of scripture here. It says, 
Let me go in verse 14. Are any of you sick? You should call on the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer is offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins. Here's the, the key one. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Hosea 14, verse 4, the Lord says, then I will heal you of your backsliding, your unfaithfulness. It doesn't say I will forgive you because that's, that is true. But he says, I will heal you. I will heal you. Of what? Of your sinfulness. And I wrote this quote from Spurgeon. He says, um, Spurgeon was quoting this, this passage of scripture. He says, kind of Spurgeon quoting God, so to speak. He says, I will not treat them as though they are rebels. I will look upon them as patients and they shall look upon me as a physician. So yes, we are rebels. Yes, we do rebel against God. But I love the way that Spurgeon kind of tweaks our, our look at this verse in, in alignment with James 5.16, where the Lord looks at that as like, almost like a sickness. He's like, I want to heal you. I want to heal you. And in fact, you can find healing in your honesty in following him, in your honesty with each other as brothers and sisters. Got sin? Confess it. Why? So you can be forgiven? No, so you can be healed. Healed. Amazing. When you look at it as that, as like the great physician is, is all about taking care of his patients. There is forgiveness. We have that through the cross and the, the empty tomb. There is forgiveness, absolutely. But I think sometimes what we forget about in Christianity is we need healing. We need healing. And not always the physical healing. Yes, physical, I'm all for that. But also spiritual healing as well. That can only come through Jesus. And that comes through Jesus by way of just owning it. Kind of cool that that's tucked away in, in Hosea chapter 14. So he moves on. Verse 5, I will be to Israel like a refreshing dew from heaven. Israel will blossom like the lily. That's, we're seeing that prophetically happen. It will send roots deep into the soil like the cedars of Lebanon. Its branches will spread out like beautiful olive trees, as fragrant as the cedars of Lebanon. My people will again live under my shade. They will flourish like grain and blossom like grapevines. They will be as fragrant as the wines of Lebanon. O Israel, stay away from idols. I am the one who answers your prayers and cares for you. I am like a tree that is always green and evergreen. All your fruit comes from me. All your fruit comes from me. John chapter 15, vine in the branches. You stay connected to him. And, and your purpose, our purpose is to produce fruit. But it's him through us that produces the fruit. And even that, here you go. You see that tucked away right here in Hosea chapter 14. This cypress or this, this evergreen that it talks about, it's a symbol of life and it's a symbol of strength. The wording there, it's a, an evergreen cypress or it's a luxuriant cypress tree. It says, let those who are wise understand these things. This is Hosea closing out this book, this letter. Let those with discernment listen carefully. The paths of the Lord are true and right, and righteous people live by walking in them. In them. It's a lifestyle. But in those paths, sinners stumble and fall. And what 
popped into my brain as I was just reading through this and studying this again is Psalm chapter 1. Compassionate and loving are just a few descriptions of God. Did you know that in the Minor Prophets, he's also described as just? Israel and Judah thumbed their noses at God by making him unimportant in their lives. They gave in to their own desires, did what they wanted, and despaired in tough situations. All of this caused them to forget God as their protector and provider. Why is it so easy to do those things that, in the long run, aren't good for us? More than I care to admit, I see myself doing those same things, over and over. God was patient with them, and He's patient with me. But there comes a point when a reality check is needed. Jesus draws the line between white and black, wrong and right, judging actions and motives. Thankfully, He doesn't leave us in that rotten state. He offers us forgiveness and hope. You've been listening to Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Pastor James has been teaching through a series called Major Messages from the Minor Prophets. Each message professed by the prophets reveals his abundant patience, his faithfulness, and also his justice. If you missed one or more of these teachings, I encourage you to go back and listen to them again at breadforthebroken.com. Just click on the Listen tab. We'd love for you to come join us each Sunday morning at 10 a.m. or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Our prayer is that you're encouraged and rest in the confidence that Jesus will right every wrong. Be sure to tune in next time as Pastor James continues here on Bread for the Broken. Bread for the Broken